0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 to 12, starting at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine, and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently
1: As you sit, let me encourage you to do uh, two things. One would be uh, to grab hold of the, uh, the handout uh, that has been tucked inside uh, the bundle. Um, even if you don't like taking notes, it will help you to see uh, where we're going and where we are in the next uh, few moments. The other thing, probably more important, would be to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the reading uh, that Liam read for us just a min- minute ago, page 1217, page 1, 2, 1, 7. 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you've not been here uh, uh, last week, then you won't know that we've just started going through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, We looked at verses 1 and 2 last week, and we're looking at verses 3 to 12 this week. 1 Peter chapter 1, page 1217. As we have the Bible and perhaps our handout in front of us, let me pray for us now. We've been singing, Heavenly Father, that you are the one who knows about grief and pain uh, because the Lord Jesus himself walked this earth Uh, You were tempted, he was tempted and taunted Uh, and we've uh, spoken of the suffering, uh, indeed sung of it earlier in our service that he endured. And we know that as we follow in his footsteps, we too will suffer. And so we pray that you'd help us, please, uh, to be equipped to stand fast as we suffer. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. It was, as uh, you will know, 13 years ago this week that the United States of America suffered the infamous terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. This is uh, a newspaper from the morning after that day, 13 years ago, and these uh, remarkable images that uh, most of us are very, very familiar with. This week marked the anniversary of that event. Uh, Maybe, like me, uh, you watched a couple of television documentaries that have been for me brought flooding back the emotions of unbelievable horror as I along with millions around the world watched the events unfold live on television since that day the world has simply not been the same the next morning one reporter wrote if New York is not safe if the Pentagon is not safe then quite simply nowhere is safe and that sense of insecurity has changed things. It's changed air travel. Uh, the queues through airport security and the need to deposit liquid in large containers is just one expression of the way life has changed since 9-11. That day has changed military strategy and deployment. On the 20th of September, uh, uh, a few days after, 20th of September 2001, President George W. Bush declared a war on terror. And since then, the US and Britain and others have been on alert against an unseen enemy that is nowhere and yet is everywhere. So much has changed since September the 11th, 2001. But I refer to it tonight because that day has changed the way many view religion. Since 9-11, there has been an understandable suspicion of religious extremism. The war on terror has, well, not exclusively, but largely been a war against religious fundamentalism in the form of Al-Qaeda and in these last days, IS, the Islamic State. There is, rightly, a fear of religious fundamentalism. We are intolerant of it now as a a world. And that, I believe, has had an effect on committed Christians in Britain. You see, anyone who is seen as a religious extremist, and that means anyone whose lives are shaped by a religious text, anyone who's prepared to follow a religious book, anyone in that category is viewed with an element of suspicion these days. Uh, Look, I wouldn't call myself a fundamentalist or an extremist, and I wouldn't say that that's what we are here at Christchurch Forward, but I have to acknowledge that that is how we are seen by some. Some have posted things on the internet using that kind of language of us. And uh, you and I will know that especially when we get into everyday conversations and the conversations turn to controversial issues about gender distinctives and marriage and the uniqueness of Christ and the way of salvation, people are worried about us and our views. As people hear our views, no matter how carefully we argue them, we will be viewed as sectarian fundamentalists, narrow-minded misogynists, puritanical sexual repressives intolerant bigots and when that happens we will be marginalized and ostracized and treated with suspicion in society and so the letter of one peter could not be more important to us as we began to see last week peter is writing to christians who are suffering just because they own the name of jesus christ he didn't write to people who are suffering the sort of extreme persecution that many of our brothers and sisters are enduring in iraq and syria right now as i said last week there's no mention in this letter of christians dying for their faith or being imprisoned or or the state systematically targeting christian believers that doesn't come here at all no peter was writing to christians who were suffering what we're calling low-level persecution the sort of thing we're experiencing right here in 21st century britain where individual Christians are suffering at school and university and in the workplace as they stand up for Christ. And as they do that, the kind of suffering they're experiencing is they lose friends and they lose out on promotions and some even lose jobs. And then churches are suffering as misleading, incorrect articles are posted on the internet and as the law changes to be diametrically opposed to the things the Bible is very clear on. That's the kind of suffering Peter is addressing. And so as he writes to Christians who are suffering for their faith, verse three is a surprising beginning to the main body of the letter. And if you're still following along, we're now on point one, a surprising beginning. See how it begins, verse three. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter writes, praise God, and these people are suffering. Yeah, it makes me think of a friend from my days at theological college. His name was Luke. I'm not in touch with him anymore, but I really like Luke. We got on really well. He was a great guy. He was brought up in the East End of London. He'd been wonderfully converted to Christ. He was simply in love with Jesus. And whenever you met him and whatever he, you said to him, he'd say, praise God. I can remember one morning, Luke asking me how I was doing. I wasn't having a great day. And I said to him, to be honest, Luke, it's not the best day I've ever had. I've got a bad back. It kept me awake all night. I'm really tired. I've got a deadline on an essay this afternoon. I can barely think straight. And Luke said, praise God. (laughs) Now, read these first few lines in verse three, and you begin to wonder if the apostle Peter is doing a Luke. praise God. These Christians are suffering just because they're Christian. Being a Christian is costing them. They'd be feeling insecure and uncertain about the future. And and Peter says, praise God. Now, look, of course, this is not an insensitive and unthinking start to the letter. What we're going to see is this is the best way Peter could begin his letter. In short, in verses 3 to 12, this is what we're going to see this evening. Peter tells us what we need to focus on if we're gonna keep going through suffering and persecution. And when he goes through these things, they are so good that when we think about all that we have as Christians, it should leave us wanting to praise God even as we suffer for our faith. In the original, verses three to 12, is just one long sentence. He wouldn't have got very good marks at English. He'd have been told to put some full stops in and all sorts of things. But it's just a great expression of praise. It it, it speaks of reasons to be joyful. Verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse six, in this you greatly rejoice. Verse eight, Christians have reason to be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Praise God, not because you are suffering, but praise God because you have so much in Christ you can even praise God in your suffering. and uh, do you remember from last week uh, do you remember peter's stated reason for writing this letter uh, if you don't remember just flick over a couple of pages to the end of the letter chapter 5 verse 12 right at the end there almost the last verse chapter 5 verse twelve. Second line of that verse he says i've written to you Briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God, stand fast in it. That's why Peter's writing all these words to encourage suffering Christians to stand firm in the true grace of God. And this evening, as we look through chapter 1, verses 3 to 12, it will give us every reason to keep going with Christ, even though we suffer, and it should leave us praising God, even though following Jesus brings us a hard time. So, from a surprising beginning, We have, uh, second, an inexpressible joy. Uh, We're on the handout there. And there are three big reasons to be joyful as we read through verses three to 12 of chapter one. Firstly, we have a secure inheritance. Verses three to five. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, you who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. There's loads of words there, but cut through all the detail. And Peter is saying, we have a reason to praise God in suffering because we have a living hope into an eternal inheritance. We've got something amazing to come. I see, that is crucial that we know that if we're suffering for being Christian. If you stand up for Christ, it will cost you in this life. Stand up for Jesus and you will miss out on things in this life. If you refuse to compromise, at times you're going to miss out on some things that this life offers. So you've got to know there's something better to come. You've got to know it's worth it. We're going to be marginalised at school if we stand up for Christ. You've already experienced it. I was speaking to someone this week who's just started at a new school. He wants to make friends. He wants to be liked. Of course he does. We all want that. He was in an RE lesson. Did you call it RE or RS? Well, whatever. Your religious education, religious studies. He was in that kind of lesson. He, uh, because he was asked to, he was explaining carefully what he believed about God as a Christian. And as he did, he was ridiculed by others in the class. That was really costly for him. Really costly. That happens right through life. A few months back, someone in the congregation was telling me of their experience of a job interview. It all seemed to be going so well until the interviewer said, I see from your application that you're involved at church. Tell me about that. So they did. And the whole mood of the interview changed at that point and she didn't get the job. It's costly. Wider afield, some people have lost jobs because they're Christian. We've seen it in the news. Others have been taken through court. Uh, I receive a newsletter like this every quarter from uh, a body called the Christian Institute. And as I get this uh, Each quarter, I read of cases of wrongful dismissal and the Christian Institute contesting on behalf of the people who've been wrongly dismissed in their jobs. Uh, This uh, little newsletter tells of people losing their jobs because they stood firm for Christ. That's costly. And even when the, the case is won, the stress of going through the whole procedure is emotionally and mentally scarring. See, just to stand up for this stuff, to stand up for Christ, you've got to be sure it's worth it. And Peter says here, what you miss out on now, and you will miss out on stuff now, what you miss out on now because you're a Christian will be more than compensated for in your heavenly inheritance. But look, if you're, if you're going to stand for Christ, you've got to know that this inherit, eternal inheritance is sure and certain, that it's not just some sort of, um, you know, uh, sort of pipe dream, you know sort of castles in the air just up in the clouds and that's what peter is saying not just you've got something but he's going to show us it's absolutely certain look verse three he says you have new birth and notice new birth into a living hope and notice that new birth has been given to us by god's mercy why does he say that he says when you were born again, when you became a Christian, it wasn't by your own efforts or your own decision. It was out of God's mercy that you were born again. So even the fact that you are a Christian came from him. It wasn't your decision. And that makes my being sure I'm going to get this new inheritance even more certain, doesn't it? Because he, he grabbed hold of me in the first place. what's more our inheritance is based on something very definite verse 3 it's through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead why am i certain that when i die i'll be raised from the dead to be with god why because of the historical actual bodily resurrection of jesus christ from the dead it's not just on some vague hope it's on something certain being sure of that makes all the difference in the world Look, I wouldn't say that I've suffered massively for being a Christian, but there are times when I'm exhausted in the work of the gospel. I've had to battle a bit and contend in the wider church, and I've been in meetings and situations that are quite unpleasant. And in gospel ministry there are little sacrifices, times when I feel I'm missing out just because I'm a Christian, but when I can't do things because I don't have the time or the money. Ah look, it's then that knowing this keeps me going. There is an inheritance to come and it's not just wishful thinking on my part. It is rooted in the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let me encourage you tonight, if you've never looked into this stuff, would you read a good book on the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? Become certain on those facts that Jesus really did rise from the dead because if you're certain of it, it will help you keep going in the Christian life when times are tough. I've just grabbed hold of two books and I've put a few copies of them uh, over on the desk uh, 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 over there where you can pick them up and if you like, pay for them. But I'm not even bothered you pay for them. If you read them, just take them if you can't afford them. If you really can't afford them, come and see me. I'll also throw in a fiver so you can go and buy buy a sandwich for yourself. Anyway, uh, Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ, chapter three. Oh, the third section, really, all about being sure of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Really well written, uh, written by a a journalist. Uh, This book, just on that one subject, Who Moved the Stone? Frank Morrison. Uh, So, uh, an older book, uh, quaint kind of language. Um, Probably, if you're younger, you get on better with that one. Not an easy read. Not an easy read, but really worthwhile doing. See, being sure of this makes all the difference in the world. And Peter wants, you to, wants us to be sure that our eternal inheritance is, uh, is certain, that we know it's certain, and that it's more certain than anything in this life. Look what he says in verse four. He describes the Christian's inheritance as something that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And he does that because everything in this life does perish, spoil, or fade. All the things we love and so value in this life eventually rust, bust, or turn to dust. Buy a new car and it, it rusts. Well, they don't rust so much now, but they perish, they blow up. Well, ours did earlier this year. When we first got that car, it wasn't brand new, but we were cock-a-hoo. We were so excited about that little car. Blew up, weren't so excited then. Buy new clothes. You feel like a million dollars, but they end up spoiling. You know, you put them in the wrong wash and they turn pink or, or they get a hole in them or, or the fashion changes. Ta-da! <laughs> 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 or think back a few weeks to, uh, to your summer holiday. You so looked forward to it. You enjoyed it. But here you are a few weeks later and the experience and the benefits and the suntan has faded. Everything in this life, perish, spoils, or fades, but not our eternal inheritance. It is more certain and more secure than anything in this life. That's what he's saying. And I've got to know that if I'm going to make a choice to stand up for Christ that will mean that I will miss out on the things that I so value in this life. We have an imperishable, eternal inheritance and it is a secure inheritance. And look, end of verse four, it is being kept in heaven for you. And verse five, we are being kept for it. See verse five, you who through faith are shielded by god's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time now i love that do you you ever ever realize this christian as a christian you are shielded by god's power that is a colossal thought god's power the power to make the entire universe that power will protect me shield me and keep me for my eternal inheritance Now you put all of that together and you say that's why i'm certain of the future it is secure and I am being kept secure for it. Now you think about that and it keeps me going as a Christian even when I'm suffering for being a Christian and it will make you want to praise God, doesn't it? Can you feel, can you feel the excitement rising in your heart? We have a, a, a secure inheritance. A second in this point over the page, we have a, a purpose in suffering. Verses six and seven. Now, under this, there are two things to note. First, suffering makes us rejoice more in our heavenly inheritance. See, look at what he says in verse six. In this, that is in this great inheritance that you have, in this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. When life is tough, I I begin to long for that day when I will be with Jesus in the new creation. When life bowls me a googly, I look forward to that day when I'll be free from all pain and suffering, when there'll be no more mourning or crying. Three years ago, just over now, when my mum was dying, I thought more about that day when Jesus would return than I ever have, I think. The same happens when we suffer for being Christian. We begin to look forward to that day, don't we? There's a purpose in suffering, it makes us want the one thing that is certain and secure it makes us begin to want the one thing that can never be taken from us. So in suffering, we begin to pin our hopes on the one thing that will never disappoint us. That is brilliant. Because all the time we're pinning our hopes on all these other things that perish, spoil, or fade, we're gonna continually be disappointed. So suffering, it's terrible to go through it, but it does us good because it says, I'm gonna put my hope on that to come. So there's a purpose for suffering. Secondly, there's a purpose for suffering in suffering for being a christian proves our faith genuine how do i know i'm really a christian well if you kept going through suffering see that's verse seven these have come so that your faith that is these trials these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise glory and honor when jesus christ is revealed Imagine the situation with me. You've been praying for ages for a friend of yours to become a Christian. You've had loads and loads of conversations over the years with them. You've invited them to church, to the, um, to the guest service, True Love. You've invited them to Christianity Explored. They finally turn to Christ. You are so excited. You go home, you thank God, and then you pray every day for your friend that they would keep going in their newfound faith in Christ. You pray for God to protect them and keep them. You're hoping that their response is genuine, that they really have become a Christian. It's not just a sort of a a passing phase. And when you meet up a week later, you ask your friend, "So how's it going?" Your friend replies, "Well, thanks for asking. You know, I've had a really bad week. Being being a Christian is, is, is not easy. It doesn't make life easy, does it?" And as your friend says that, your heart sinks. Your friend goes on to explain more. At work, because of the unrest in the Middle East, someone said something about religions being the cause of all wars and, and that the world would be a better place without religion. And I said, you know, I don't think it's right that you're so dismissive of all religion. And then my colleague said, well, don't tell me that you've got religion too. And I said, well, I have just become a follower of Jesus. And when I said that, a few of my colleagues went ballistic. They laid into me. The atmosphere in the office has been tense ever since. And then your friend continues. After work, I met up with some other friends and we went out for a drink and I told them about that conversation that I'd had at work and that I'd become a Christian. And then my friends told me that I, they, they thought I was off my head. They asked me if I'd flush my critical faculties down the toilet. And then at the weekend, I went home to see my parents who've always been so supportive of me and everything I've done. And I told them that I'd become a Christian. And when I did, the room fell silent. You could cut the atmosphere with a knife. With disappointment in their voices, they quizzed me about why and and asked me if I really knew what I was doing and they told me not to expect them to be pleased for me and certainly not to expect them to come to church with me. And as your friend tells you all this, you're devastated. You've been praying for them for so long to become a Christian and now they've had all this hassle. You've been praying through the week that they keep going as a Christian and you ask your friend, so how do you feel about being a Christian now? Oh, says your friend... It's brilliant. I'm so joyful and excited. I'm relieved that I'm forgiven. I'm amazed that Jesus loves me enough to die for me. And I have to keep pinching myself when I think about eternal life. It's brilliant. And then you know that your new, your friend's newfound faith is genuine. They've been through hard times. They've suffered for their faith in Christ, and they're still standing firm. Isn't that verse seven? These trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. Anyone could be a Christian when everything's going well. It's when life's tough and you keep going. Then you know the authenticity and sincerity of your faith. We have a secure inheritance, a, a purpose in suffering, and thirdly and briefly, a love for Jesus, verses eight and nine. Um, earlier this year, I, I celebrated my thirty-first birthday. <laughs> On the twenty-fifth of March, nineteen eighty-three, I became a Christian. And to use then the language of verse three, I was born again. I so I, I'm thirty-one years old. It's great right, being a Christian. I can still remember how it changed everything for me. I I began to see the world differently. Uh, I was uh, 20. I, I knew that I'd found what I was made for. I could hardly believe that God loved me enough to send his son to die for me and to bring me forgiveness and into a relationship with him and that I was now absolutely certain of eternity with him. I couldn't believe it. Well, I could believe it, which is why I was a Christian, but, you know, I could hardly believe it. And I don't mind telling you, my heart was full of love for Jesus. See, it was verse 8. I'd seen him. I'd not seen him, but I loved him. And end of verse 8, I'd experienced a joy I'd never known before. I can't put it into words because it was, verse 8, an inexpressible and glorious joy. And so as I've looked at these verses this week, I've kind of been challenged because I don't think that joy and that love for Jesus is quite so evident in my life these days. But I'm not only challenged, but this has also spurred me on to want to be sure to focus again on Jesus Christ. Because you see, it is love for Jesus that will keep us going through suffering. It is love for Jesus that gives me this, this, this inexpressible and glorious joy. It is Jesus who, verse nine, brings me the goal of my faith, the salvation of my soul. It is Jesus who will be the centerpiece of the eternal inheritance that I so look forward to. It is Jesus and being with him that will make heaven heaven. And it's knowing Jesus and having love for Jesus that keeps me going through suffering and fills me with joy and praise. It is hard to live as a Christian in Britain today and partly because of 9-11, it has been getting steadily more challenging in these last years and I only expect it to get more challenging in the years ahead. But let's not feel sorry for ourselves. We should rejoice. We should praise God for we have so much as Christians. We've seen it all here and there's so much more as well. And as we remember all that we have, we will be able to keep going. That will keep us going through hard times. And what's more, it will keep us going with an inexpressible and glorious joy in our hearts. Well, there's only one response, apart from going out tomorrow morning and living this stuff, and that is to praise God. And so Peter and the band are gonna lead us in doing just that.